Welcome to a podcast for the March 2020 issue of the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Kelly Tappenden. I am professor and head of kinesiology and nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. I'm here today with Dr. Al Barocas, who is co-chair, along with Renee Tyler, for the Aspen Value Project Scientific Advisory Council. And we're going to be discussing the publication in the March JPEN issue entitled Value of Nutrition Support Therapy, Impact on Clinical and Economic Outcomes in the United States. Welcome. I'm wondering if we could get started uh, by having you tell us the impetus for this work. Why was this scientific advisory board formed and what's the basis of the value project? Kelly, thank you very much for the invitation to participate in this interesting podcast. By way of background, I just wanted to outline for you the genesis and impetus for this article and the whole effort of the Scientific Advisory Council and Aspen's Value Project. Aspen's mission for many years from its inception was to provide optimal nutrition care to all that were in need, period. But we had not been successful at demonstrating the actual value in terms of financial costs. Because of that, and because of the changing paradigms from that of rescue and repair and disease prevention and health promotion, another dimension to Aspen's mission was that of demonstrating value, particularly the current environment of value-based purchasing. To that end, a group was convened initially to perform what was called task one. And it was composed of professionals that had experience not only in the clinical arena, representing all the disciplines that currently compose Aspen's membership, but also we gathered a lot of great information from sources outside of Aspen that were health economists and others, period. The task force initially provided input in selection of a health policy firm that would conduct the first two tasks that had been outlined. There were three tasks that were initially agreed upon and one was to look at nutrition care outcomes that were targeted with a extensive literature review and overview. Secondly, analysis and cost data using Medicare claims. And lastly, the development of value messaging for top impact conditions, which is currently on their development. But that was my personal focus and continues to be because I felt that we had to provide Aspen members in particular with the armamentarium necessary for them, regardless of their standing, regardless of what region they were in, to be able to learn the language and have the actual data to present to the supervisors, administrators, policymakers, stakeholders, and even patients and family. And I saw this as a very, very much needed service because of the rapid changing healthcare environment that I discussed before. 
we no longer have to be rewarded by how much we do. Rather, we have shifted from volume to value, which is pretty much defined as, in a very generic way, as doing the best or getting the most bang for the buck, that is quality over cost. And as we have learned through the years, demonstrating value or outcomes as it deals with nutrition is rather complex in as much as you have to take into account compounding variables, various interventions that are done. And initially it was good enough just to show that there were some tangible outcomes, perhaps uh, patients' quality of life as they described it being better. But we didn't have enough evidence, hard evidence, from the cost analysis basis. And so the first task was to identify a consulting group that dealt with health policy. And that initial group determined that this would be Avalier Health. Once this was done, an initial array of articles were reviewed based upon 13 what we call therapeutic areas, the group more or less disbanded and was reformed as a scientific advisory board as we moved on to the analysis using a very complex, at least to me, Medicare claims data analysis. Let me back up to task one then. You worked with some consultants to identify evidence regarding clinical and economic outcomes of clinical nutrition, right, or nutrition intervention and page on patient outcomes. Uh, but how did you narrow your search? Uh, you know, we, we're so much more prescriptive in how we do literature searches right now. Um, how did you make sure that you were doing your search in a very specific yet comprehensive way? Well, I think first was that we identify those 13 therapeutic areas. The search was done by the Avalier group, and they went by standard search methodology uh, using mesh terminology. And here, uh, I would like to ask Peggy to uh, chime in because I believe uh, she was also involved in some of that process. Dr. Peggy Gunther from the Aspen National Office. Uh, welcome. Um, hi, thank you, Kelly. Um, that's a great question. Um, how did we conduct our search? Again, we took the 13 therapeutic areas, and with um, with the health policy firm, we developed what we call a nutrition care evidence rubric, where we looked at four domains, which were the grade evidence, which, of course, you know, um, is the evidence scale and methodology we use for our guidelines. We then looked at outcomes of interest. What were those outcomes? Were they cost or clinical outcomes or both? Um, or were they intermediate outcomes like weight gain and, and, and the like? Um, and then we looked at the type of intervention, whether it was nutrition support or something indirect. And then we looked at scalability or what I call generalizability, which is were the studies done at a single institution or were they done broadly um, across um, multi-site? 
the literature was then graded or so to speak was um, this rubric was applied to each of the studies and the studies got a score. And from that score, they were put back into their therapeutic areas. And from that, we took the strongest scores. Each therapeutic area had a score. And from the strongest scores, which, which is reflective of that literature, we chose eight therapeutic areas. From that eight, we then went down to five therapeutic areas because that's what the contract was with the health policy firm that we were actually going to do analysis or task two on five of those areas. If I may add, uh, this information uh, is summarized on table two in the article is on page three. Very good. So when we look at table two, uh, what are the five areas for those listeners who don't have uh, the paper right in front of them? Okay, so the five areas that we chose were um, uh, GI cancer, sepsis, hospital-acquired conditions, which were really hospital-acquired infections, um, surgical complications, and pancreatitis. There were three others that we excluded, and we excluded them for specific reasons. One was malnutrition, and we called that the cross-disease malnutrition. And the reason that was excluded is because um, those, that malnutrition was associated with so many different other therapeutic areas that it was much too heterogeneous to really um, do analysis with. Two were COPD and CHF. Those already had some literature looking at cost and value. And so as we went to choose the five areas out of eight, we thought that instead of repeating some of the work that had already been done, we would go ahead and choose these five unique areas that have not had this kind of um, methodology applied. Certainly, that makes sense. So then you put the results of test one and let you test two for these five areas, which allowed you to look at the analysis of cost data using Medicare claims. Is, is that correct? For those studies that were amenable to cost analysis using Medicare data, not all of them were uh, selected because they did not meet the criteria established by the folks at Avalier. So what happened is there are probably about 10 studies for each therapeutic area. And some, as, as Dr. Baroka said, some were excluded because there were things like they were comparing enteral against parenteral nutrition. Um, and we excluded that because we didn't want to sort of muddy the waters with that. Some, some were excluded because when you drilled down into them, the intervention was not something that you could necessarily measure. As you know, uh, in some cases, or, or, or actually in Medicare, oral nutrition supplements are not coded, and so it's difficult to, to look at those, although we did um, try to do some modeling around that. There were some outcomes that were difficult to measure. Um, we didn't want to get into mortality data because then you have to calculate things like years and the cost per year of life and all of that kind of stuff. So we stayed away from that and pretty much looked at length of stay as an, as an outcome, as well as complications or avoidance of complications. And as we would have liked to have had 
data regarding hospital readmissions, which is a big, uh, at least from my experience, uh, that was not forthcoming in the studies. I'd All like right. to also so re remind the, the, uh, the listeners and Aspen members in particular that this uh, methodology and analysis is well uh, summarized in figure one, where we started a search with 1099 studies uh, in the 13 therapeutic areas. 114 papers had clinical and or cost measures. In the selected eight therapeutic areas with literature that was evaluated to be strong, 81 studies were available. And then in the five selected for modeling, 43 studies were found. Now from those 43 studies, there were some further uh, selection because uh, there was some duplication in a couple of the studies, I think 11 studies. Uh, and so in summary, there were eight studies used in the claim analysis. Very good, this is quite the process. Now, when you consider this methodology and the process that you went through, what were the results of this? Well, in the article, we cite one specific drill down, if you will, because we wanted to use an example uh, and the methodology then used to calculate dollars of savings. And we use the uh, Shirai 2015 article that demonstrated that patients that had ARDS and also had sepsis and received enteral nutrition. And again, the enteral nutrition was both regular enteral nutrition as well as the immunotype nutrition for critically ill patients. Those ARDS patients with sepsis compared to individuals of similar status in critical care areas and looking at the savings by reducing ICU length of stay, we would be able to capture $52 million a year just from, from that one aspect. Now, when you look at other studies that were analyzed across the five therapeutic areas, the savings are more in the range of 500 plus million dollars. Keeping in mind that we're dealing only with Medicare population. And so there could be additional savings. And the methodology that was used in these studies to get to the number was that there was a 5% sampling of those claims. And then that 5% was extrapolated to the overall population and then annualized. And so table four on page seven does give you the breakdown of the particular therapeutic area and of the annual cost savings and the studies that led to that modeling. You're certainly talking about some very impactful annual cost savings when we, we look at this, uh, this table, sepsis resulting in annual cost savings of $170 million, uh, surgical complications, 33 million, pancreatitis, 70,000. Uh, this, this, these are very impressive numbers, but I, I'm very glad that the third task of this project was to go ahead and develop the value messaging, as you mentioned earlier. Can you, can you tell us what some of the important messaging uh, 
statements were that came out of this, because I think that that's where really practitioners are going to be able to go to their colleagues uh, and and their hospitals and and show the value of prioritizing uh, nutrition care. Okay, before we discuss that, I, I just want to make sure that we all understand that while this is a great beginning, if you will, I want to challenge our members to become more involved in supporting multi-center trials or even doing studies in their own facilities based on their own data and their own needs. For instance, go to the C-suite, find out what was the latest hit in uh, hospital value-based purchasing. It might be pancreatitis, let's say, or maybe, maybe they're dealing with other issues like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and, and oral supplements, what have you. But then you become more savvy and increase that synergy between the clinician and the administrator at the local level. They're not interested. The administrators are not interested in what's happening at Harvard when you're in, in a little rural hospital in Alabama. They're trying to survive and to tell them, hey, we need more support. We need a couple of more dietitians. And they say, for what? We can't charge for that. You got to do it in terms of cost savings, uh, lower length of stay, lower readmission rate, lower infection rate and all those other parameters that keep coming up in their, quote, scorecard from Medicare and other uh, payers, et cetera. Excellent point to make. So this was a methodology paper, and this, these were examples of how this methodology can be applied to a database such as Medicare. And these are examples of therapeutic areas where you can look at cost savings. And so the paper not only set out this methodology, but it is also raising awareness about the need for more value data. Um, and I think that um, people can take some of this methodology and again, apply it to your local area um, or your local EHRs and reports and, and, um, and really try to look at the cost and look at the outcomes. I think that this would be helpful at, at, at many levels. And I, I see this be. article as a template for others to use. Now, the, the other part of this is that stemming from this article, sort of like the cornerstone article, in terms of messaging for specific diseases, this is underway now with two areas, one cancer, GI tract cancer, and the other one with hospital-acquired infections. And hopefully those will be forthcoming within the next six months or so. In addition to that, we will have for the third year in a row, a presentation at, at the upcoming clinical Congress that will briefly review the methodology because they've heard it last year, but then go more in depth into the two forthcoming papers and the additional articles that were identified by the authors. I think that in sum, what we have done here is gone through a very extensive review of the literature, albeit not showing many direct cost studies, finding some that had quality outcomes that can then be extrapolated through the use of the Medicare claims analysis methodology 
to demonstrate cost. And so in the little bag of armamentarium that the chief pharmacist, the chief clinical dietitian will take to the director or will take to the respective C-suite representative, they say, look, on the one hand, we will be able to reduce in this hospital X amount of dollars on those patients that have pancreatitis. Because last year, we had X number of patients with pancreatitis. This group received nutrition support. The other similar group didn't. And the discrepancy there was you know, $300 a day, let's say. Now we're giving you data that has quality and cost. And thus, we are providing the valuable service. That may not be as obvious to you on the front end because we're not charging since we are under a one-pay system or we are under a DRG, et cetera. So my challenge to the members, my challenge to those that are listening to this podcast would be get involved. Yes, one person can make a difference. Yes, you may not have all the resources in a small rural area. You may not even have the full component of a nutrition support team, and you're working with a what we call a virtual team, or you're dealing with a regional team that comes and visits. But the one thing that you have is knowledge that is at your fingertips, working with the informatic individual in your particular institution as to what is the greatest need for nutrition support in what area that can best benefit the hospital and start or the institution or the system, but start small and know that while physically you may not have those resources through Aspen, not only do you have the national office, but you have this great family of over 6,000 members that have faced the same challenges that you have. This is the value of membership in Aspen in this healthcare environment that is saying, show me, show me, don't tell me how much you do, but how well you do it. And show me in terms of quality for those outcomes that we as an institution are being tagged for, like readmissions, where we're receiving a penalty, or show me in terms of actual costs that you have saved because you saved in complications, you might have saved in products, you might have saved in, in using the enteral route over the parental route, whatever. So I, again, want to thank you for the opportunity to participate and to also stimulate those individuals and encourage all to keep up with the upcoming literature as well as attending uh, our session in Tampa. Very good. I, I do hope that many attend that session and learn more. I also suggest to you and your scientific advisory council to consider putting together a toolkit uh, that would provide the step-by-step guidelines or instructions to increase collaboration between clinicians and their local C-suites to identify the value of nutrition care within their own institution. Many of the individuals listening and wanting to do that may not have the expertise or experience to be able to go through that process. And so giving a step-by-step guide might be very useful to help achieve achieve the goal that, that you've discussed here. Before we uh, leave, let me say, uh, I'd like to yield to Peggy Gunter, that we do have a toolkit uh, within the website 
for the value project at Aspen. And we're moving towards something like that template. There are a couple of articles there that they can already peruse. And also, just a plug for an article that I put together last December, which is demonstrating the value of the nutrition support team to the C-suite in a value-based environment, the rise or demise of nutrition support teams. And at the conclusion of that article, there are about 29 recommendations of how anyone in any setting can pick and choose to begin with. Uh, we'd like to yield to Dr. Gunter to Peggy so that she can tell us a little bit more what is the latest on the website and, and the toolkit. But that's exactly what I was looking for, Dr. Tabaton. Very good. So um, we do have a page on the Aspen website, nutritioncare.org, and just search for Value Project. We have at least um, six or seven tools there already, including slides with key messages, um, an infograph that we presented at the um, Institute of Healthcare Improvement in December of 2019, um, some additional papers, and we are working on that one-page instruction playbook, so to speak, on how to go about it, moving this into your C-suite and, and really demonstrating that value of nutrition. Excellent. I will go check that out now. <laughs> Dr. Barokas and Dr. Gunter, thank you so much for joining me today. For our listeners, please do go to the March 2020 issue of JPEN and explore this paper entitled Value of Nutrition Support Therapy, Impact on Clinical and Economic Outcomes in the United States. Thanks again. <laughs>